welcome to the Showgirl Tip of the Day podcast. I'm Michelle Bruckner, and I'm here with the ever fabulous Jason Wise. Hey, Jason. <laughs> Michelle, I'm so happy to be spending my Friday night with you. Oh, thanks for coming on. So Jason is a spectacular triple threat who has jumped the table and is now a director choreographer. And I want to talk with you about your journey towards that decision, what led you to realize that that was your path. And I just know that the listeners are going to be very excited to hear about your journey and your dreams I first met Jason several years ago, and you're one of those people who have grown and expanded your life in leaps and bounds. So where are you originally from? I'm, uh, that was all so nice. Thank you so much. That, that made my day. Um, <laughs> and, and I have equally uh, uh, fabulous memories from when I, I first met you too. Uh, I'm from upstate New York originally. So, you know, very close to the city, if you're, if you're thinking globally, but it felt like I was, I couldn't have been more far away. Did you have dreams of coming to Broadway? Absolutely. Absolutely. It was, it was, um, it was, I don't remember not wanting that. So that's, that's how early, how early that must've started. And your Um, mom has a dance studio, right? Yes. And that's kind of, you know, that's really where everything started, especially the transition from performer to choreographer. Uh, I grew up in my mom's dance studio. So along with the classes, I also was exposed to the business stuff, you know, the other side of the footlight stuff. And uh, I fell in love with dance more than I expected and started asking my mom if I could choreograph stuff in the studio. And she said, yes. And I, I found that I was really enjoying it. And then the same in high school. I wasn't just in the in the high school musicals. Towards the end of my time there, uh, I started asking the director if she would let me choreograph them. Wow! So so I really had you know I I just I I was dancing, but also I was choreographing, and I was finding myself just having a great time. Uh, but then um, so, so you know so with that, it wasn't an idea that was born after my performing career. It was it was before my performing career. But I didn't uh, know that. That's incredible. That's to be so young and to have that desire. Yeah. Yeah. I th- yeah. That's fantastic. So and, um, when, okay, go ahead. Oh, well, no, but then that's, you know, around the time when I met you, of course, when I moved to New York, I wanted to dance and I wanted to work as a dancer, but, um, but being, so that's kind of how I, you know, when I showed up, I thought you're going to go to school and then, you know, you're going to start your performing career. But being a choreographer was, it was always circling around in the back of my head. So I went to school and, uh, and uh, I'll talk about AMDA a little bit later, but I went to AMDA and then I went uh, off on the road with Cats. The musical I remember Cats. that. And um, I stayed there. I was there for three years. Oh, wow. Is, I mean, that's so long. That is so much Cats. <laughs> But, uh, but I was there for three years and even out there on the road, I would grab the dancers and, you know, ask if I could put stuff on them on the road, just for, if anything, for something to do. Yeah. And uh, then I just started getting curious. I wonder if some of my choreographer friends that I know would be willing to talk to me. 
kind of about how they made the transition because I also was aware that a lot of them, you know, Jerry Mitchell and Rob Ashford, and they all started as chorus boys, which is what I was doing. That that's a you know, if the listeners don't know, that's a very traditional path for choreographers to start in the chorus, you know, and then do the dance captain, the assistant dance captain, so on and so forth. Yeah, uh, I love so that I thought- you just explained that because a lot of people listen to the podcast who are not in show business. And oh, that's great. Yeah, that's I great. like I like just explaining what everything is and all the jobs that you could have because a lot of people don't know that there's not just one job performer. Exactly. Exactly. There's it's multifaceted. Uh, so. Uh, you know, so I thought, I wonder if some of them would talk to me and just kind of give me some insight on how they jumped from from being in the chorus where I am now to being a choreographer, which is where I want to go. And I got some great feedback and great insight from great people, one of which was Tommy Toon, who was so inspiring. Uh, Tommy Toon uh, is, is a prolific director, choreographer, uh, very much so Broadway based I'm not sure he really did too much in film and television but um uh for the the listeners who don't know much about theater Tommy Toon would be Michelle wouldn't you say like the Martin Scorsese of the theater oh yeah he's so he's got so many credits and they span decades yes and And performer yeah director choreographer he had done it all and he gave me you know, the most inspiring advice, which is just start doing it. He said in any way, shape or form, just start putting things up however you can and just start making it known that you're a choreographer. Tell everyone. I love it. I love it. So I did. I spent the whole summer, you know, putting as many choreographer eggs and as many choreographer baskets as I could. But I was still auditioning as a dancer. And I booked one of those auditions I had gone on. And it was for Beauty and the Beast on the road which was great. That meant health insurance. Yes. You know what I mean? So I leave New York with Beauty and the Beast and about three weeks into it, I start getting bites from all of those feelers I had put out. Oh, wow. And and one of them wanted a meeting, which was, that was what I was hoping. I mean, that was the one thing I wanted, a meeting as a choreographer. Wow. So I had to ask myself, are you really happy doing what you're doing? Or do you want to go down this other path? And especially at that time, just for a meeting, like that wasn't even for a, you know, no one was offering me a job. It was just a chance to to get a job. But that night I, I walked off stage. If you know Beauty and the Beast, I was the car- I was also a tumbler as a dancer. So I was the carpet uh, in the Be Our Guest number, which yes, basically the- meant I was put into a giant bag. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember I walked off stage and I unzipped the carpet and I put it in there. I gave it to the dresser and put it, she put it away. And I thought, I'm going to go to New York and be a choreographer now. That's great. So I came back and, um, and the meeting happened to be for a show called Bayside, which was a parody of the television show Saved by the Bell. And for whatever reason, the show took off and ran and ran and ran and ran in New York. And that did great things for me as a choreographer. And that's kind of when I started getting more opportunities to do more, keep along that path. But I had to make the decision, the responsible decision to stop dancing because I didn't want to end up in that Beauty and the Beast situation again. 
But you know what I love about this story is that you, when you made that decision, the doors started to open for the path totally. that you really wanted to be on. And isn't that funny, Michelle? I, that's maybe it's part of the magic of theater, but I have yet to take a risk where a safety net doesn't eventually appear. Yeah. But you have to take the risk. Yeah. And, you know, when I was growing up, there were a lot of people in my hometown who they enjoyed watching me on stage, but there was always the, well, it's nice to do, but it's not really a career. One friend's mom said to me, I could never have a career where I didn't know where my next paycheck was coming from. But for me, I believe what you just said is that the safety net will appear. If none of us are in this industry, then who are you going to go see when you go to see a show? Like somebody has to be the performer and the choreographer. It's so, Um, I mean, but you know, I'm not, I, I don't say that as if it's easy to do. I don't want anybody to think that I'm saying that it's easy to do because it's so difficult to take those risks sometimes. I mean, you know, emotionally difficult and sometimes financially difficult, but you have to, and it always pays off. I agree. And, you know, you never want to live your life thinking, well, I should have gone for it and I was too afraid. No, exactly. And you know what? Here we are during this. I hate bringing up the pandemic, but there's no avoiding it. And I think I'm so glad. Like, let, I mean, it will all come back. But, you know, sometimes I'm like, what if that was it? What if it's uh, over forever? And I think I'm so glad that you don't have to sit there and think, what if? Yeah. Well, you know what? Life life can throw any kind of a curveball at you. And if, God forbid, something happened tonight to me, I know that I gave everything my best shot. You know, like exactly. I threw myself into everything and led with my heart. And you you have too. And it's a wonderful thing. I love running into you on the streets of New York because first of all, you look fabulous, but you have oh, thank a look. You. You have a look now. You wear this like Henley, the black Henley and the jeans. And I'm like, (laughs) geez, he's going for it. He is the director choreographer of the next generation. That makes me so happy. No one ever looks better than you do, though. Stop it. And it's it's Uh, a known fact. I spot you a mile away, though. When we're on the streets of New York, I can spot you from a mile away. I I hope that's a good thing. No, it's good. It's totally good. So you mentioned Tommy Toon. You have been working with some great people. Is there anybody else in the industry that you just adore and can't wait to work with? I have been interviewing a ton of people for this podcast and I've just been asking them, like, what do you want? We've been speaking things into existence. So where would you love to see yourself if everything was up and running? What do you want for yourself? You know, I... I would, I just want to do something that brings people joy. And I know how cliche that sounds, but I think as artists, there are times where we can be self-indulgent with our projects. You know, they can be passion projects Mm -hmm. and, you know, they might not be for anyone else, but for ourselves to have our, you know, to find a way to express ourselves, they become our creative outlet. And, you know, I think any artist will admit there are times we don't really care what people think of it. 
we need we needed to do it for us but i feel like this is going that that we i mean the, we we need as show people we need a lot of help right now and we need a yeah. lot of support and it, it's hard to find glimpses of people showing us support but with that it goes back to what we were you know in uh, coming out of the great depression people are going to need to escape and that is i mean showing us showing up for duty and that's us putting on our army jackets that's what we do we provide yeah. people with an escape from their lives and i i just hope that whatever it is i'm working on is something that is appealing in the way where it makes people forget about everything for a second and just enjoy and you know, I, I, my personal favorite style is the traditional big musical comedy, you know, the music man or mame or gypsy or, or hello Dolly. But I think that, you know, I, I hope that there's some of that stuff when we come back, we know we'll have the music man mm -hmm. because I feel like we need, we need to uplift and smile and, and be there for people because I think they'll be hungry to come back experience all of those things again and i think that they they will you know there's 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 the fear that the tourists what when will the tourists come back oh and everyone i know is just itching to get back to new york yes, and yes exactly i'm sure you know a lot of friends who have moved out temporarily i i just send them love and strength sometimes you have to go and stay with your folks or yes. stay with friends and just you know, make some money and put some money away. I get it. Like I get it. Oh yes. Oh yes. If you need to go away, go away. It's okay. Like make sure that you are, are setting yourself up to be able to return, but there's no stress right now. The most important thing for everybody right now is just to be taking care of themselves. Oh yeah. I mean, there's no, you know, nothing else matters right now than everyone's personal well-being and and happiness and safety. So and, if you're safe, I mean, it mm -hmm. has been crazy with, with the, I, there right now, see, I went, I actually left the city for six months when everything started in March. Oh. And, uh, you know, it was just the blunt of it. It just seemed, I mean, luckily, very gratefully, I had a place that I could go and sit it out and I did. But then coming back to New York, what it's been has been trying to figure out who's here and who's not because everything kind of got thrown in a blender and people really have dispersed in all different directions. And people have different, you know, game plans for when they're returning. And it's such a puzzle right now, just figuring out who's here and yeah. who's not here. But, but shout out to folks like, there's that wonderful Australian triple threat, Sarah Bowden. She's in, I oh believe, my Idaho gosh, right I now. love her. Oh, she's so talented. But, um, you her. know, she's doing things that are like, she's teaching yoga and she is, I think, I think she's getting some her real interior design stuff. Or yes. Something. Yeah. But you know what? She can come back in a heartbeat and start to book shows because she's so great but you know what I applaud her for diving into other things in the meantime and living Me in a too. different place. Me too and you know in the six months that I was out of the city I I learned that I enjoyed doing things I never would have known I enjoyed like I stained a deck like I power I love washed it. a deck and stained a deck and I found I had not a clue that that would bring me such enjoyment 
And that's obviously not starting my own business or anything, but that has been, I built a birdhouse. You know what I mean? I mean, all of these things, I built a garden bed for my, for my folks. It's all of these things that I didn't, that, you know, never, ever would have been done, have been done and have been discovered this year. And, you know, I'm seeing businesses extend from that and it's, it's admirable and it's inspirational and that's life. It is. One of the things I love about you is that you love the history of New York so much. I love, will you tell the listeners the story of the mirror ball that you found in the parking garage? And it was from the Bette Midler. Tell that story because it's really a great story. Yes, I love this story. And I, I'm not sure if you know the the amazing happy ending. That That's a no. recent update to this. But Oh, I don't. Uh, so one of the great things about New York is everything is still right where it's always been. If you're reading about a place that used to exist, let's say like Studio 54, even if it's not currently, if there's a restaurant inside now or something like that, the building is still there. Like the footprints and the skeletons of everything still exist. So one of my favorite things to do when I'm reading about an iconic place that was long gone before I was able to move to New York and experience it myself is I still like to go there and see if there's anything, any remnants or anything left over that might be reminiscent of what it was. And one of those places was the Continental Baths, which was a gay bathhouse uh, I think, uh, you know, 70s, I think late 60s, early 70s. It was on the Upper West Side. And there was all of these different pools and saunas and different places to hang out and a little cabaret stage. A young Bette Midler would sing there, accompanied by young Barry Manilow, before pre-fame, before they were famous. Kind of famous with, you know, New York City people, but not like the global mega watt icons that they are today. Right. And I was, you know, doing some research and it was on the bottom floor of the Ansonia, which I think houses some of the Amda campus, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Houses some of the Amda campus and that the location is now a parking garage. So I saw that when I was in the neighborhood, I could go down into the parking garage. And I remember just thinking how cool even though it looks nothing like it, I'm in the same space that Barry Manilow and Bette Midler got their start in. And I start looking around and sure enough on the ground, the pavement has started wearing and you can see some of the old pool tiles. So oh when, they com- when they converted it from the baths into a parking garage, instead of tearing it up, they must've just laid the cement over it. And I started looking around some more, peeking through some closets, and I noticed a circle covered in dust hanging up in the corner. And I go up to it, and I swipe my finger across it, and it's a mirrored disco ball. (laughs) And I think there is no way. There is no way. And sure enough, I went to see how it was attached, and it was attached with this hard stainless steel metal wire. Uh, and it looked very dated. I mean, the tiles were kind of cracked and, you know, you could tell there was some age to it. And uh, sure enough, I went to the Lincoln Center Library and pulled up the blueprints for the baths. And I found that uh, where I found the disco ball was actually where the stage area was. Oh, my goodness. So I go back and here's, you know, 
I feel bad saying it, but I, I had to find a way to get the disco ball out of there. So I said, hi, I'm here doing a research project. I called about the disco ball and it was just <laughs> some guy working at a parking garage. I mean, he had no idea what I was talking about. And he said, the what? And I said, the disco ball. I'm here to grab the disco ball. And he just said, yeah, sure, fine. Go get it. So I went down and uh, I brought the wire cutters and I took the disco ball. And um, I brought the wire cutters. I brought the wire cutters and I took the disco ball because I knew that if I didn't, it would be gone forever. Oh, yeah. So so as I'm carrying it home, because it was so old that this a disco ball is actually a styrofoam ball covered in mirrored tiles. So the styrofoam started breaking and the ball oh. started falling apart on the street. So I'm on the street picking up all of these mirrored tiles, which was probably the least weird thing on the street that day, but I felt mm -hmm. ridiculous. And uh, I kept the mirrored tiles in a bag. So then a few years later, I was telling the story to somebody and they said, does you should tell this story to Gary. And I said, who's Gary? And they said, it's Barry Manilow's husband. He would love this story. So I, they put me in touch with Gary and I told him this story. And I said, I have these, you know, this, this, these parts from this disco ball. If he wants, if Barry wants them, they're his. And he said, why don't you, uh, this was last summer when Barry was here doing the uh, Barry Manilow on Broadway. I think he came like for six weeks to do a concert. And his husband said, why don't you come and give them, tell Barry the story and give them to Barry in person. Can you believe that? Amazing. And did you, did you give them to I, him? I did. And he said, he asked if it was okay to give some of them to Bet, And I said, absolutely. Of course, I'm not going to say no to that. <laughs> and uh, he loved the story. And, you know, I could tell, I could tell, I saw him look at them and I could tell he, this is going to be something he really enjoys having. And I'm glad that I got them to him. Oh, How wow. Cool. I kept I some for myself, though. I kept some. I, I, I was just going to ask you, did you keep a couple of tiles? Oh, just, yeah. Just oh, to yeah. have. Oh, yeah. See, that's what I love about you is that you see the New York underneath the current New York. Oh, I love that. I feel like you're like that, too, right? I, I, I love New York and I hate New York at the same time. Like, mm -hmm. to me, Berlin feels more like New York to me than New York does. Uh, like, I, you know what? I've actually heard that before. Um, I feel a, a lot more comfortable in Berlin and New York. I have to really fight the feeling in New York that I'm not good enough and doing enough. And yes. what the pandemic yes. has done for me is given myself a little bit of a break from that. Like yes. every day in New York, in, especially if I'm in Midtown, I had a sublet once in Midtown and it was the worst thing ever because every day I was like, why aren't you at an audition? What well, go, yeah. go, like, yeah. da, 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 da. Yeah. and the pace, like I can wind myself up so much. And yes. what the pandemic has given me is just a little bit of a rest from that. Yes. And you know what? And that's, that's the thing. Who knows if we would have taken that rest if this didn't oh. happen. I know I wasn't because they had just gotten a new agent and I was really trying to audition as much as I could, plus work, 
plus take care of a home and you know a family so it going back into the performing world is amazing but after this I know like one step at a time one step at a time I can only do so much in one day Uh, but still New York winds me up like that it really it's like a habit trail it does. And you, you know, there's so many, there's so many ways you can try to, to block that out or to, you know, ignore that and try to carry on. But I, I think it's just a natural component because it, it's not necessarily coming from other people. I mean, there are certainly other people that I think spark that, you know, that exhaustion in you, but the city itself can do that to you. I mean, yeah. it's just this, the noise, constant noise. And, you know, it can, you can get more run down than you even realize you are. Yeah. But I will say this. I do play a game with myself where I have to find one brand new thing. Every time I'm in the city, I have to say, okay, you have to find something that's brand new to you. And I have been in New York for 30 years and I still every single day I, I can ask find you, something 30 new years. wow yeah, yeah. 30 mm-hmm. that's amazing. 31 actually 31 now that's amazing oh, I know uh and that's a thing too is that a, 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 listeners need to know that for every uh one year in New York it's about two years of life anywhere else oh I agree so you oh, really lived sure. in New York for like 60 years Oh God. Oh my goodness. But I, I live outside the city now about an hour North of Manhattan and I do enjoy just having just a little bit of space from the Island itself. I, I go there for work. I go there to see friends when I can to go to the theater, but I do enjoy just having like a place away from the city. Oh, absolutely. I mean, on a much smaller scale, I feel that way just living uptown. I love being uptown. Where do you I, live uh, now? I live right above the Apollo Theater. I, I live a block away from the Apollo Theater. So up on 125th, you know, I, I and when I don't have to be in Midtown, I'm here. I, I love being uptown just for that same reason. It's nice to feel like you're a little bit outside of it. So you can decompress and clear your brain. And are you excited though for the pandemic to lift and people to start? I mean, I'm hoping that Broadway shows open back up. But here's my suggestion: is I think that doing theater, like more outdoor theater, and doing I don't want to say a tour, but maybe a show that has several different venues I guess that would be a tour but you know what I'm saying like yeah not yeah. not stuck in one theater for a year or so like I'm really yes. thinking in my brain I'm trying to design a theater with a space that opens up yeah so if it the weather's bad you can go indoors but then what about a beautiful summer night wouldn't it be lovely to perform outside exactly and I think you know we know that I mean, people, humans have been performing since the age of time. I mean, the records go back thousands of years. So we know that theater is going to keep going. And I think that if the, that 
you know, it is going to augment. I hope that it does for, for those reasons you just said, you know, open air venues and, and all of that. And I think that theater is, you know, the environment that we see theater in can be so effective to your overall, you know, the overall impact that the night is having on you that I think we'll see some really exciting stuff and some great, not just shows, but I think the nights will become experiences because people will be trying to reinvent and find creative ways to safely put something on. And I don't think that that's going to be in one small theater constantly every day. I like, did you ever see Sleep No More? I did. I I like interactive things. I I like when, I like non-traditional interactive things. I know. I like that. I like when film and live theater merge. You've been doing yeah. a lot of demos and filming and reels for a long time. Yeah. And um, you really use New York City as your background. You use the city. And I think you did something on a subway, didn't you choreograph on a oh, train? Oh, yeah. Once? Yeah. I mean, the thing, I mean, and you know, the real reason for that is it's free. you don't have to rent the studio space or buy a set come up with the set or anything like that the city is your set and is your studio space so that's really smart yes but also you know i can't underestimate i I do i love new york just as much as i love show business so it's that i mean i think i would film on the street either way i what's your favorite neighborhood in the city my favorite neighborhood you know it's it's, it will, I think, always be the Upper West Side. And I don't know if that's just because, you know, I was able to move to the city to go to school. That was kind of my path. That was my way of getting myself here. You know, if you can get yourself into a school in the city, then you would have to move to the city to go to the school. So <laughs> that's how I convinced everybody. And that's how I did it. And that neighborhood for me was the Upper West Side. So I don't know if it's just because that's the neighborhood was the first home. Yeah. You know, where you first, that was kind of my introduction to not visiting New York, but living here. And it was a neighborhood that you never make it up to when you're a tourist visiting. I mean, I think the highest you go is 59th Street, if that. Right, right. You know, you get get to the West 50s and you start getting nervous that you're getting a little far. You're going too far. So I, you know, this, that was the West seventies and I still feel like home. And after I had the two years at AMDA in that neighborhood, my first apartment was also in that neighborhood and I was there for three years. So my first five years was in that, in the West seventies. And that still feels like home. Like I still go there to run my errands, even though I have places in my own neighborhood that are closer. I love that. Well, until the pandemic, I used to run my errands in Chinatown. I just love yes. Chinatown. Like you have your neighborhood and you know, yeah. like, you know, I think oh, I have to drop this off at the dry cleaners and I choose to go to the one down there just because in my head, that's the dry. What would you say to someone who is in a small town and is thinking about making a move, following a dream? What would you, what would you say to young Jason? I would say, well, first, I mean, you know, this question I get asked sometimes, but, but in this particular situation that we're in with COVID and everything, I've actually been thinking a lot about those folks. Very gratefully, I've been thinking, I'm so glad this happened 
12 years into my career and not when I was just starting out because what would have happened, you know, when I didn't know anybody or didn't really have firm roots yet and hadn't really worked and didn't have any credits that that age when you leave your small town and you move to New York. I mean, Michelle, can you imagine when you did that, if that first pivotal year this happened? Oh, I've been talking about it with my friends. We did not have the technology that exists now. So if this had gone on, uh, there's no, there's no zoom, there's no communication, there's no FaceTime. But also when I was that age, I was very impatient and I was very hungry and, you know, go, go, go. So that's how you did so much. So young. Right. And I don't know if I would have worked. Yeah. But I don't know if I would have been patient. Like, I have been pretty patient during this. My patience is running thin the last month. But in the beginning, I was like, hey, guys, it's okay. Let's ride this out together. I'm going on Instagram Live and doing a ballet bar, you know, but but now I'm like, okay, like enough is enough. It's nuts. So, I mean, you know, what I would tell them right now is is keep your plans. I mean, I think there's probably a lot of folks who were just at that move out of the house and move to New York stage. And they probably now were like, should I still go? Or should I not go? Like, keep your plans to come, keep moving, keep training, keep getting here. So that's my answer right now. But for anybody, like whenever I get asked, what would you tell people who are just starting out and and trying to find your footing? That's, That's kind of what you were asking, right? Mm hmm. Yep. I would say, I mean, make, you have to remember to make time for yourself. I mean, it sounds so cliche, but it's, it's harder than it sounds. And once you get in the thick of New York between auditions and, you know, getting a survival job and honestly just trying to survive, you're going to run yourself down. And I believe that when you feel run down, your subconscious tells you, oh, well, all I need is a show and that would fix all of this. I wouldn't have to have the day job and I wouldn't be stressed and a show would fix this. I wouldn't be running around working all these jobs. and I'd be making money if I just had a show, but you're not going to get one if you're not in the right mindset. And it's so like, it's not just about being talented and looking good. You have to have yourself in such a good place that you have the brain space that allows you to even retain steps when you go to a dance call, or if you're Mm -hmm. an actor and you have a, a great work session with a director you're going to have to be mentally available for the director to work with you. And if you're not making time for yourself and you're just letting the survival jobs and the stress and the money and all of that stuff carry you through, you're not going to get the job because you're just, you're going to go in to your audition, just not being in that right, that right headspace. So you might feel like there's no time and no money to invest in yourself, but you have to, because that's going to help you get the job. So I just I agree try to 100%. tell young people, like, don't feel guilty about, you know, treating yourself to an expensive bubble bath or, you know, you want to get highlights in your hair, but you're nervous that I can't really spend the money on that right now because rent's going to be due or whatever. Do it because that's going to make you feel better. And then you're going to be more confident and you're just going to be, you know, there's going to be more positivity radiating from you when you walk into the room. I also think that your dream belongs to you and if you believe in it, something is going to happen. I, I was telling my students the other day, don't let the energy in the room, don't absorb it. Like 
uh, some people are not in a good mood sometimes, but don't let that affect yeah. your dream and focus. Even just pursuing this, just like when exactly. I was younger and people people tried to talk me out of it, I was like, no, like you don't know what you're talking about. So same yeah, thing when you're actually focused and yeah, and you were strong willed. I mean, you you had the dream and you protected it, and then you executed it, and there's no coincidence. So who would you most love to work with right now going forward? Like who's your, dr- what's your dream creative team? Oh gosh. I would have to say, I-, I really love Michael Arden. Michael Arden is a new director. I think he was an actor first too. And um, I think he played Pippin in Pippin at one point, or, you know, he was a, a singer. He had a career as a singer first. And then recently has transitioned into directing and his most recent thing, I I don't know if you saw it or if anyone listening saw it, but his most recent thing was that once on this Island revival. I saw that. Fantastic. It was at Circle in the Square and it was, I mean, I, that's not my kind of show at all. And I left a huge fan of once on this Island. And that was, that was the power of the director because, um, I happened to be there with the casting director and he was telling me that, you know, I wasn't too familiar with Once on the Silent. He was saying, no, this is all Michael. Like Michael created this environment and thought it could work mm-hmm. in this space. And so I started looking at some of other, Michael's other stuff online. And I just think he's just so good and so unique. And uh, he, you know what he did? He also did some of those, I'm sure you saw saw stuff about it. He did some of those shows at Deaf West, like oh, that yes. were all done with sign language. I think it was oh, Pippin yes. and Big River or something. That was all Michael. And then also, you know, further research, finding out that that was Michael who wanted to do that. And um, I haven't crossed, crossed paths with him yet, but I admire him so much. And I think that, I hope that with when things come back, some younger people, and this isn't just because I'm I'm one of these people, but I hope that that there's some more uh, some fresh young inventive people that get that get put in in into the game because um, you know there's a lot of of great you know who used to be great for young people was Hal Prince he yes. was like he hired Jason Robert Brown who was a nobody I mean he I'm not saying he was a nobody but he hadn't done anything yet. And right, Hal right. Prince I had know a what you pattern. Mean. Yes, he had a pattern in his career. Hal Prince was a direct, uh, another prolific director, who had, you know, he would grab these young people, and if he hadn't done that, we wouldn't have some of the most incredible things that we yeah. have. And I think that I hope that there's a fresh overturn of sorts where just some new blood can get in, uh, like Michael. I think that he he gets the right opportunities to just keep going, keep going, keep going. Fantastic. It'll be, it'll just be interesting to see, to see how everything, because we, we know it will come back, but how, how and what will be different is remains yet to be seen. Well, listeners, let it be known here first. Um, this one, Mr. Jason Wise, is going to be a big star and he's going to be Michael Bennett, who you adore, Tommy Walsh. Oh, we didn't even talk about Tommy. We didn't even talk about Tommy. We have to talk about Tommy. Yes, because I want to send this to Barbara, his loving sister. Who is Tommy Walsh to you in your life? I'll tell you a quick little Tommy story that I have. But tell the listeners, 
about your connection to the late Tommy Walsh. Yes. So Tommy Walsh, uh, for those of you who might not know, he originated the role of Bobby in a chorus line. And all of those roles, uh, of course, which Michelle, you did. You were Sheila, a Sheila, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You were Sheila. Tommy was the original Bobby. And all of those characters were based on the lives of the original cast that played them. So not only did Tommy play Bobby, but also it's very much so based on his actual life. And Tommy Walsh came came into my life very early on. As I was talking to you earlier, my mom started letting me choreograph stuff at the studio. I had gone to a competition with a number I had choreographed. Uh, I think I was 10 years old. And I had just choreographed a solo to make him laugh. That sing- the great singing in the rain number that Donald O'Connor does with the doll and the chair. And I did the number of competition. And at that point, Tommy Walsh had started judging the dance competitions, which for all of us is a great, a great gig. I, I've started judging. It's, it's an amazing job, you know, side, side hustle, and they come right through New Jersey. And but Tommy had started doing that. And after I did the solo, he came out and found me and he said, Who are you? And I said, Jason, he said, Who choreographed your solo? please have them find me after I want to talk to them. And I said, I did. And he said, you've got to be kidding. I said, no, I choreographed. And he said, where are your parents? (laughs) And he found my parents. And, uh, you know, he just kind of was our buddy all weekend. And then we, we all sat down for dinner and he just said, Jason, you know, you have to dance. Like you have to go to New York and, and have a career as a dancer, but you have to remember you are a choreographer. And when the time is right, you know, you have to, you have to give that some attention. And, you know, I had never really had anybody believe in me at that age up to that point. I mean, I, I was from a small town where where no one really knew too much about what Broadway was. So they definitely weren't supporting me, per se. So Tommy was kind of that first person who said, you should do this. And he gave me his address and we wrote letters. He was my pen pal. I mean, every two or three weeks, the, the new Tommy Walsh letter would come in the mail. And he was such a unique character. You know, he would stick the address label on sideways or something would be upside down. Or it was just the the envelopes were as unique as Tommy was. And he, you know, he, he wrote thank you notes to people after auditions. Did you know that? Yes, I had heard. I had heard that to, to people who didn't get the job. Yeah. So when you auditioned for him, which I did several times, you had to sign. You didn't have to, but you would like put your name and address on a clipboard. And then yes. after the audition, you would get a nice letter. And I think he had glitter inside and written with beautiful yes. markers. Thanking. Oh, yes. The hand, he had this handwriting that was like calligraphy. Yeah. This, this, it was he was just one of a kind. All the way around. And, and the I'm sure I love that you said he had the glitter in the envelope, of course. Yes. I'm sure you've seen that video where he's um, choreographing on young dancers and he's um, using all this like Betty Grable imagery. Yeah, I, I put that together. Oh my God, it that, is so funny. I found that over COVID, my mom's studio had all of these old dance, uh, Hockter's dance caravan tapes that he used to put out you know where he would set a number on a couple of girls and I was just watching it and you know those he had these fabulous comments like you said uh you know these are the arms think Betty Grable and he was saying this to these five-year-old girls who had (laughs) no idea who Betty Grable was it's so funny uh, there was so many of those moments and I thought I have to link all of these moments together 
and and I did it to send it to Barbara, just like you said. But his sister Barbara has been an amazing. I mean, you know, we don't have Tommy anymore, but we have Barbara. And yes. I, I was lucky enough this summer when I was upstate, when I was away from the city for COVID, to spend some time with Barbara, and it was the first time we had met ever. And, you know, just just to quickly wrap up my Tommy Walsh story so that this one makes sense. We wrote letters and we wrote letters and he guided me and spearheaded me and really was instrumental with helping everyone be okay with me moving to New York for school. And then when I moved here, he passed. So, uh, you know, also that that really was hard because it was like, oh, I'm going to finally get to hang out. You know, we would write in our letters, oh, now we're going to be neighbors, because yeah. the Amdodorms were on 70th and he lived on 71st. And then, right. and then we lost him that year because I moved to New York in 2007 and that was the year that he died. It was devastating. Oh but anyway, so I finally got to go. You know, anyone who knows Tommy now knows Barbara because they know that Barbara has really kept Tommy Walsh alive. And mm-hmm. she's kept in touch with all of his friends. And yep. she's been so generous with stories and pictures that we would never have if not for her. And uh, uh, so we connected that way. And then we finally got a chance. She said, well, why don't you come to my house? It was the house I believe Tommy bought for his mother when with his chorus line royalties or his chorus Beautiful. line money. And um, now Barbara's there, of course, looking after her, And she lives there with her beautiful partner. And we had a great afternoon and spending time with Barbara was like spending time with Tommy. I, I mean, that. I felt, I, I feel I, I was so messy when I was with her, you know, we started going through things and watching things. And of course I just, I lost it. I started, I just cried. I cried most of the time I was there. I thought she's never going to invite me back. We had a beautiful afternoon, but the reason it was so emotional is because it was like being with him. I mean, she is such a gift to all of us who knew Tommy. I'm so happy we have Barbara and uh, wonderful. She does an amazing job of keeping Tommy's spirit alive. And that's a great story. And Um, you, you of course know Barbara too. She's I do through the, the uh, Michael Bennett musicals page. And just from my, my long association with the show, show and you um, I believe you I remember you telling did Tommy Tommy wanted you to go out on tour with something or something yes. right well let me first tell you this funny story about chorus line because when I had my first show with Biork it was in Atlantic City and we were rehearsing and Tommy came down uh, they had just published that book called on the line on the line so, yep Yep. Tommy was down for a few days and we were rehearsing the breakout in the fourth montage. Everybody comes out of a clump and then we go to stage right. And then in lines, we travel backwards across the stage. And he said to me, Michelle, you're not in line. So, you know, fix that. Make sure you're in line when you do the breakout. So the next time we ran through the show, then we had a dinner break and I ran up to him all sweaty. And I was like, Tommy, (laughs) was I in line that time? And he goes, No. <laughs> he just looked at me with those eyes and yeah, just took a beat. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. But I, the, I did get hired by him. I actually was un, unknown to me. I was expecting my daughter. So I was on the road with Chicago, the musical, and I was married at the time to my daughter's dad. And yes. unbeknownst to me, 
was pregnant, we had right before we went out on another leg of the Chicago tour, Tommy happened to have an audition for Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. And it was going to be a national tour with, with Anne Margaret. With yep. Anne Margaret. Uh-huh. So I had a Chicago contract that was nine months or a year or something. And then this was supposed to start like right after that. And yeah. I booked it. I booked oh it and I got the offer. And so for the first time in my career, I was going to have two you national were tours. You were going to go show to show. Uh-huh. Back to yep. back. And for two years, 24 months, yeah. I was booked. And yeah. then... Which bum, is the bum, best bum. feeling. Yes. Then, it, then the daughter, yeah. Then I was pregnant. And so I actually called him and said... I'm expecting a baby. And you know what he said to me? Well, do you think you could still do it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, once he, if he liked you, he liked you and he, you know, wouldn't take no for an answer. And you know what? I probably should have still done it. You know what I mean? I probably yeah, should have just been yeah. pregnant in Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. But yeah, right. I ended up not doing it. And I am I regret that because Anne Margaret is a phenomenal entertainer. And I would have loved to have worked with her. And yeah, of course, yeah. to have done a show with him. Yeah. So yeah. life is funny, but um, I will always remember him. And he will he'll always be alive in our hearts and memories and his work is everlasting. Yes. And you know, when I met first met Tommy Walsh, I was so young. I didn't know anybody else who was really in show business. So I just kind of thought, I mean, I knew Tommy was unique. He always wore these checkered sneakers and his vocabulary. He would take two words that he loved and mix them together. Like eyelash and fabulous would become fabulash. Yeah. And stuff like that. And uh, but I also just kind of thought maybe that's what they're like in New York. These show people, maybe they're all <laughs> a little kooky. And then, of course, I moved here and it, it has further, you know, further proof that there was no one else like him. I mean, he yeah. was one of a kind. When when he would when he would approve of you, it just was you felt so good. Like when yes. when he thought you were good, you were like, oh, OK. Yeah, I must. Was very I must have something on me. He was hard. Okay. I mean, it, you know, it wasn't. You know, he was. I, I was just. He just kind of really told me to focus. I remember once I was doing a number. Uh, so this is further into my relationship with Tommy Walsh. It was. Um, you know, we had been writing letters now for twelve years, and now I'm at that age where I'm about to move to New York. But it's kind of my last year as the kid, quote unquote, kid. And I brought a duet to New York to a competition he was going to be at. And something happened where he couldn't be there until the day after. So he missed it. So he said, can you please watch it? You know, even though you missed it, can you please, can we do it for you? Like in another ballroom in a corner somewhere. We just, we, we kind of put it together, excited to show you. And we're just so sad that you missed it. And he said, yes, of course, being the nice guy he was, he took his free time, went to the corner and we run the duet and then, because this was his free time, I just, after we finished, I said, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And I started grabbing my bag, just kind of, you know, ushering my parents back out. Like, let's let him have, we got to do it for him. Let's let him have his time back. And he just, he ripped me a new one. I mean, he wow. said, you're standing here with a two-time Tony Award winner and you're rushing out of the room. I've taken my time to watch your duet. He said, I'm worried about you, that you're going to go too quick, that you're too fast. 
He said, you need to, you know, linger after the audition and wait, you know, be the last one to grab your dance bag and just really let me have it. And, and there was several moments like that where he just, he laid it down. But then when he approved of you, it meant that much more because it was genuine. Like he, yeah, but he laid throw... it down because he wanted you to know. And yes, exactly. And I'm still here. We are all these years later and I can promise you, I am the last one out of the room. Oh, he, I, I mean, it's just, you know, like you were saying the approval, I mean, it's just his approval. It really meant something because you knew it was authentic and it was genuine and, and it was Tommy Walsh. And I don't know, you do some teaching and there's a movement lately about, oh, dance teachers are too harsh and too mean. We need a kinder, softer. Well, here's yeah. my opinion. Those old school people like Bjork, like Tommy, they told you how it was because guess what? Time is money and they wanted you to know it, know it right away because my favorite expression is pull up and get it together. And that's oh, yeah. what they meant by when they tell you these things, it's not that they don't like you. It's that they do like you and they want you to be the best you can be. And sometimes you need a talking to like, it's okay. It's not going to break oh, yeah. you. Oh yeah. No. And, um, you know, it's funny, like the teachers that I owe a thank you card to are the teachers that I thought hated me. And then I just realized once I started, you know, working in the real world, oh, they were the ones who actually thought I had what it takes and wanted to make sure I didn't screw it up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, you know, people might know, you know, these are our, our own personal situations and stuff, but the broader audience might know nothing from a chorus line the diana morales song and so many times i don't know if i'm right on this or not but so many times i thought from my personal experience oh she must have been in his eyes the most talented one in the class and that's why he was so hard on her <laughs> i love that perspective yeah. maybe maybe you were hard, you were you know you were real which was good i mean i i still hear your voice you do yes and it wasn't that you were difficult you just we, you didn't treat us like students you treated us like we were already working together oh that's which good. Was amazing there wasn't that teacher student you know kind of hierarchy or or ego it was you know you would lay it down like you were you know with us and wanted us to get the job and it was you know you were invaluable well, Michelle, Jason, it was so thank good you. talking to you. Thank hopefully, you for your time. Hopefully we get to do something soon together. And how about a Pippin? How about a, I can still do Fistrata. I'm still in that 100%. age bracket. You are Fistrata. <laughs> All right. I love you. The Showgirl Tip of the Day podcast has original music composed by Joshua Holloway. Find him on YouTube, Joshua Holloway Music. This podcast is written by Michelle Bruckner and edited by Michelle Bruckner and Joshua Holloway. Find me on Instagram, Showgirl Tip of Day. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next week with a new episode. Oh,